on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. It was in that when my husband told me I wasn't making money and figuring it out, it was, I got to pay attention to the numbers. I'm a creative person. I was like, I have to learn how to like data more because that was one of the ways that I was able to actually figure out how to make money. I had to costing sheet then, like I, I was pricing out all of my all of my materials. I was comparing it against orders that were coming in. Yeah. So you did, you do have to get out of your comfort zone. A hundred percent. When you know you have that, when you know you can do more, but I would say also like I had, I chose to make that hard experience something that would teach me. Okay. Like I, we had every reason under the sun to not be married anymore and to go on with our lives and pick up pieces and feel miserable. Right. Right. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine-figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high-performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. Welcome back, Gathering the Kings podcast. Today, I've got Lauren Anderson on the stage. I cannot tell you the story of baking cookies which saved her life, right? It saved your life, Lauren, right? Oh, it absolutely did. Cookies saved her life. And, and I want you to grab your notebook because it's not just about an incredible overcoming story, but also just the emotion, the raw emotion and super practical tips that she gives in this episode. So let's jump in right now. Get your pen and paper. Let's go. All right, guys, Lauren Anderson on the stage today. I cannot wait for you guys to hear the story. Lauren, thanks for being here. Hi. Hi. How are you, Jazz? So you good know, to be here. It's, it's great. I'm glad that you're here. And you have such a unique story being an entrepreneur and even just your product, but tell us what you do. Tell us a little bit of a, an idea of what the business looks like today. Obviously you're seven figures. That's the, the qualification to be at the King's table right. as a queen yeah. yourself. And so tell us what that looks like. I teach people how to decorate cookies. <laughs> I love it. I just it is kind of crazy. Cause I know you like, it's so funny. Cause like you go through life and you have your story and and you mentioned, Hey, it's this unique story. I'm like, I, I didn't know it was unique. You know, this is just what my life has been like and my path has been like, but anyway, I decorate cookies for a living and I teach people to decorate cookies, but it's it through that I'm able to reach people and mostly women who are, are struggling. I help them live life with a little bit more joy, fill their cup and work through all of the ups and downs in life that we go through And it's a really fun way to do it. Absolutely. And so not only have you created a business for yourself, but really what you're doing is you're helping women mostly, I'm sure, but yeah, we got a handful of it. Yeah, of course. (laughs) There's always the couple baker guys, um, which is great, but you're helping them by freedom, by, by building a business, you're helping them uh, step into something maybe that they weren't sure about, but you're giving them the tools necessary to forge a new trail. I love it. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. Okay. So how long have you been doing this? So I've been, uh, well, I've been decorating cookies about four or five years now. I always judge by how old my youngest son is, which is the whole reason it all started. But, but yeah, no lollies as like an online cookie education and like teaching people how to run a profitable cookie business that has been in the last 
a little over a year and a half. Yeah. That's incredible. And if you're taking notes right now, what I want you to hear, I'm going to recap this several times as we go through the show here, the listeners know I do this, but what, what Lauren's talking about is that she didn't have this like gumption of I'm going to create this cookie decorating empire. It was an idea and she's, she's going to give us some more information on how it came to be, but it was something that she just went with and it has turned into something much bigger than probably she even thought, but there's key things along the way that's helped her get there. And we're going to get into those key things, but I just love the story, especially since you've had such amount of success in such a short amount of time. I just think it's incredible for the listener to, to hear today. So let's jump into the story of like where it all began. Obviously entrepreneurship runs. I know you're, I know your husband's in business and stuff like that, but tell us yeah. for you, your entrepreneurship journey. How did that start? So my entrepreneurship journey in this space started with my son, but I'm going to go back a, a ways growing up. It was really interesting. My, both of my parents did not go to college. My mom went to catering college. My mom uh, is okay. British. And I, anyway, my dad's American, but they both worked from home. Wow, my dad okay. worked from home. So his job allowed him to work from home. We grew up out in the country. That was my first introduction to some entrepreneurship. Sure. And then, and my mom, she was a, a crafter and she would do craft shows and make, make stuff and sell it. I was yeah. like, okay, that, that was my first interest. So I grew up with that a little bit. And I grew up with that, that kind of that fire, but that none of this whole business started until my son was born, my youngest son. So we have three kids. I've got a 10 year old an eight year old, and now a six year old, but to the youngest six year old, Micah is his name. And when we got pregnant with him, the doctor told us at the six month appointment where you find out if you're having a boy or girl, they said, he's got some heart problems. And we're like, wait, what? So my daughter was super disappointed. It was another boy, but we were, we were taken back by what the doctors had told us. Yeah. And then at that point, hindsight's 2020 at that point, they told us what to expect. He was going to be born with six different heart defects. He'd have to have surgery at a week old. We made all these plans to deliver to a different hospital because the heart surgeon there was the best around. And, and so we had him and we thought we knew what we could deal with it. We're like, we got this. No problem. His first surgery went fine. It went great. We took at, at a week old at a week old. So wow. their, their heart is the size of a walnut, but his plumbing was all messed up. They had to put in some pieces. Like it, it was like open heart surgery, crack your sternum, open heart surgery. Yeah. And so at a week old, he had his first surgery. We brought him home at about a month old. And then he had a feeding tube, met tons of medications. Like it was insane. We just, the doctors told us you got to keep him well and healthy and gaining weight until eight months old when he could have another surgery. Wow. And so at eight months old, we took him in and he had his second open heart surgery because he had to have grown enough for them to do that second surgery. Sure. After that, we took him home. He had a partially open lung when we took him home. Within 24 hours of being home, he had a fever. And his incision, I was like, this is not looking right. It was infected. We had to take him back to the hospital and we didn't leave the hospital for at least nine months. Wow. Nine I, months, not nine right. days. Nine. That months. was the first, that was the first like long stay is we ended up back in the hospital. His lungs collapsed wow. and we were there for three weeks. And then I get a call. My, my husband needed me. My kids needed me. I was at home. We, we lived about 45 minutes from the hospital. Okay. And uh, I got a call saying, you got to get here, your son, like we just had to do an emergency intubation, which was basically his heart stopped. He stopped breathing. Yeah, like we had to save his serious. life. And I just remember trying to get back to the hospital as fast as I could. My husband met me there and we couldn't even get in the room. Like 
he was surrounded by doctors and they were frantically trying to figure out what to do. And at that point, at that time, I, I didn't know up from down. I was in the waiting room and another heart mom came up to me and asked, can I do something for you? And I, I was like, I don't even know what to tell yeah, her. But, I don't yeah. know what's going on. But then what really got me was the chaplain came over to us Ooh. and I'd, I'd seen it before. And I was like, no, because if the chaplain comes over to you, it means that your kid is going to die. And I'm sorry, I always get emotional when I talk about this because like that was the moment where, man, you just realize how precious life is. Yeah. And I, I pushed them away. I was like, I'm not talking to you. Like, I refuse to believe that this is it, right? Right. Um, and it's, I'm probably a little bit more emotional on this one because we just recently had a death in the family oh. this week. My stepmother-in-law passed away. It was super sudden. And yes, it is. It really is. So the chaplain, like, I was like, I'm not talking to you. My son, he is, is... He was born with, I think, some thick genes and he was sturdy, literally like sturdy enough. Like these heart babies, they struggle to gain weight. And, right. and our son was able to gain enough weight, kept him. That was something that actually helped save his life. Yeah. Um, he made it through. He made it through. He was like one step away from, from being on a, not a ventilator. Oh gosh, I can't remember the name now. Anyway. Serious critical condition. Yes. Like super critical condition, but he made it through and we spent nine months recovering from that. And then we spent about two years total in and out of the hospital, trying to figure out why he couldn't breathe and come to find out his heart and lungs and, and airways were fighting for space in his tiny little body. Wow. And they ended up doing a third open heart surgery. And they, it was the only medical team in the country that would do this surgery is the original surgeon that operated on him because it was most, we, we looked at other surgeons and they're like, I'm not even going to try that. I don't right. think I can fix it. I don't, I can't fix it, but we really wow. literally had to move his airways like a fraction of a millimeter away from his heart so that he could breathe. Wow. Incredible. <laughs> and, um, and they did it. They did the third open heart surgery. And after he started to recover from that one was when we, we were in the, we were at home more than the hospital. So then I turned into nurse mom. Right. Um, and I was his main caregiver. We were working out having nurses come in and help, but man, like I was the main one keeping him alive. My husband was working yeah. trying to help take care of the kids. I was with yeah. my, my son, Micah all day and completely overwhelmed. Uh, I'm sure both of them. Oh gosh, completely overwhelmed. And I started to experience caregiver fatigue. Yeah. It's real. My mom noticed. And so when she came into town, so she lives in Oregon and we were in Chicago at the time when okay. she came into town, she brought these, this airbrush and cookies. And okay. I was like, is this? And as moms know, they, they, she recognized that I needed something to distract me. Yeah. And I, a focal I, point. Yes. Yeah. So she had taken a cookie decorating class and it taught, she learned how to use an airbrush with edible food paint yeah. to airbrush on sugar cookies. Yeah. And I was like, I was hooked. I was like, this is amazing. And I started uh, researching it more. I started like just uh, doing it myself. Yeah. My mom actually, she gave me the airbrush to practice with. And I started baking sugar cookies and icing them with royal icing. And I started airbrushing and decorating them. Couldn't get enough. Could not get enough. It was like my therapy. And yeah. as my husband came home one day. He's honey, this is like cookie trays everywhere. I was going to say, do you have like stacks and stacks of yeah. cookies everywhere oh, yeah. in the house? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I bought a baking rack. Like I was just taking over wow. the whole house. And my husband came home one day and he's honey, like he's, he was worried. And yeah. Are you okay? It just seems like you're trying to escape. Yeah. And I'm like, 
absolutely. Like you don't, I'm trying to escape my life is miserable right now. And I, my son might die in his sleep. Oh. I don't know how it came to this, but like, I have to keep doing this. And I did, I was like, I'm, I took care of my son and my kids and I did cookies. And my poor husband at the time was probably more <laughs> neglected than I would have liked, but we were both struggling. We were both oh yeah. Struggling. Yeah. So it's survival mode at that point. Yo, totally, totally. We were in survival mode for years, but that's when I started doing cookies. People started to come out of the woodwork because then they found out I did cookies. Yeah. And then people started wanting to buy from me. I was like, what is this? Yes. And that was when, that was the moment that the, the home-based bakery cookie business started where I was producing physical cookies and people bought them. Yep. But it, it, that was the beginning. My husband, who is a CPA, so I'd been doing it for a while and selling cookies when I'm saying, quote unquote, selling cookies. He came to me and he told me, he always gives me a, a straight view of what our financials are like. And he looked at the PNL and he's like, yeah. honey, you're not making money. I was like, excuse me. Right. I was like, I'm selling cookies. Like I'm putting my heart and soul in this. Like I love it and I'm working so stinking hard. How am I not making money? And right. he showed me the numbers and I was like, well, I'm not making profit. And it bugged me. It bugged me. And I was like, there's no way I got to figure this out. I got to right. figure out how the competitive to- spirit inside of you yeah. said, wait, wait a second. Yeah. And so I love... <laughs> I was like, no, I got to figure this out. So I did. I worked, my husband figured out, okay, here's where I can spend. Here's what I should be charging. Here's how I should, I, I, yep. I figured all of that out and got to a point where I was going to cap and sure. I was uh, physically tapped out of creating the product to sell as much as I could in a month. I reached my goal. I reached my goal for that, but I was like, I know I can go further. And at that point, uh, my husband and I, and this is a couple years ago still, my husband and I were, he was trying to level up his own CPA firm and we were trying to do marketing for it and learning the whole kind of digital marketing and online in the online space. And yeah. I had started trying to help him looking back. I didn't know what I was doing. And so then I knew after more kind of self-education in that area, I knew that I could apply it to the cookie business. Right. right. My husband, did, my husband did too, because he could see some potential there that I couldn't see. Right. I was like the thick of it. Before it you was, jump in, before you jump yeah. into the to the to okay, the okay, next okay. level, let, let's uh-huh. let's dissect a little bit because you have okay. given us already. Like, I, first off, I'm sure the listener like me is just like following along on your story because sure. it's so emotional, and we've just been with you this entire time, in and out of the hospital the whole time. And so, what I'm hearing for the listener, this is the first time I've recapped this for them, is that hard things happen and that didn't bring you to an end. You you no. press through. We hear this all the time for the persistence, push through, don't give up. But this is real life for you. Yeah. This is like family, literally life on the line. And you didn't necessarily know in the moment what to do, but your instincts said, I have to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And so I want the listener to be able to hear that. And then now that they've heard your story, go, okay, in your own way, you have to be able to keep going. Now, oftentimes what the listener like we've talked about this six figure person who's trying to get to where you're where you're about to explain where you just went to uh-huh. seven figures but in that grind it goes from i started out it was a hobby it was a side business it was i enjoyed it you weren't making any money but but you were about to escape your hobby. <laughs> yeah exactly and so at some point someone in this case it was your husband had to give you some practicals of hey nice. Um, in order to run a successful business, you have to price yourself accordingly. You have to figure out the best cost of goods. You Mm -hmm. have to be able to understand labor. You have to be able to put all these things together so that there is margin. Otherwise you're going to not make money. Number one, which then eventually erodes any sort of uh, desire for the business. (laughs) Right. I would say, so yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it was in that when my husband told me I wasn't making money and figuring it out, it was, I got to pay attention to the numbers. I'm a creative person. I was like, I have to learn how to like data more because that was 
one of the ways that I was able to actually figure out how to make money. I had to costing sheet then, like yep. I, I was pricing out all of my, all of my materials. I was comparing it against orders that were coming in. Yeah. So you did, you, you do have to get out of your comfort zone. A hundred percent. When you know you have that, when you know you can do more, but I would say also like I had, I chose to make that hard experience, something that would teach me. Okay. Like I, we had every reason under the sun to not be married anymore and to go on with our lives and pick up pieces and feel miserable. Right. Right. Both of us were like, we're not letting that happen. Like we, we are going to take this and make something out of it. And this cookie thing, man, it, I knew that something was there and it was a conscious decision to actually turn it into something that could be a benefit to people and not just right. something for me or my family. Right. Um, I didn't want to be miserable my whole life. And then you being able to now share or duplicate yourself through the, the teaching process, obviously, has, has, uh, has grown the business. So let's, so many nuggets so far. Thank you for being vulnerable, number one, and sharing. Like, I think we all, to a degree, have our unique story, some Absolutely. more maybe severe than others. But what I've gotten so far from your story is that, look, <clears throat> no matter where you're at, someone else has it maybe worse or a different case scenario. They're yeah. pressing just as hard as you are. Just because I see the the trophies in the background or the fact that you're a seven-figure person or whatever, it just it doesn't mean that you didn't have to trumps through just the dirt right. sometimes to get there. And so thank you for sharing that and making it real because that's real for everybody. That's entrepreneurship. So when you were making these decisions along the way, and I know you're about to transition your story to maybe more of the teaching process and growing the marketing side of the business, but give us when you make decisions inside of the business, specifically back then when you were trying to go to seven figures, huh. was there a formula or do you have a formula now? about making decisions so that you try to make good decisions? So that's a really great question. I have learned one, I'm more of a feeler. So I learn how to incorporate data and all of that into my decisions. Okay. But I probably go one with my gut first. And I have learned to open my mind and listen to other people who know what they're talking about. Yeah. I used to think I knew everything, but guess what? That put me in a position where I wasn't making money. And right. so my husband at the time was my person was like, Lauren, if you really want to accomplish this, here's what you can do. And since then, I, I, I like I have other coaches, but like my husband right. is such an integral part of this business because I cannot do it alone. There is no way that I could have turned that home bakery business profitable without him sure. and him seeing a different perspective, but also me letting myself hear those things yeah. and be open to knowledge that other people have. So the process I'm hearing you say is number one, get your ego out of the way. Yeah, you go out of the way. Yeah. I think you know it. And when you have it out of the way, then when you go to make a decision, you can realize that your gut isn't necessarily your ego, but it's like that thing inside of you that's intuition. like intuition. Yeah. We all have it. Use your intuition. Exactly. exactly. But to know the difference between the ego and the intuition. And then on top of that, surround yourself with people. Sometimes they're close to you. Sometimes there are other coaches, like you mentioned, right. sometimes both, but that can help you make good decisions. Yeah. And I'm going to add a fourth is actual implementation. Love it. Like taking all this stuff and putting it into action because the work and that action is, is. Yeah. So Cause if you don't, it's just an idea. It's just a, exactly. we're just talking about it. Exactly. Okay. So let's break it down a little bit. Give me an example of a good decision that you made <laughs> along the way that can be helpful to the listener today. Okay. A lot, a good decision that I made along the way. There's a lot of them actually. I know people talk about how many bad decisions they've made. I made plenty of those. I've made I have made good decisions. And are we talking pre you know, seven figures or post? You could do either. Like you could do either. I think pre would probably be a little bit more practical, but 
Okay. Something along the way that just sticks out of, man, I'm glad I did that. That was a good choice. Yeah. Um, honestly, it was pre-seven figures. Gosh. It was pre-seven figures. I hired my first coach that was not my husband. Sure. What, what made you want to do that, though? Obviously, we so, just talked about your process a little bit, but what made you actually go and do that? Because you had to spend money to do that, I'm sure. Well, because I knew that I could go further, but I am impatient and I know the value of condensing time if you can. Yeah. Because you can either take five to 10 years to get somewhere or shortcut that time, bringing in people and data knowledge to get there in a much faster time frame. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So making a decision to bring in other people and you're encouraging them that even if it's somebody who can shorten the time frame yeah. or shorten their understanding uh, yeah. to be able to speed things up, basically save them time and money, then that that's a huge benefit that you've seen in your own story. Yep. Absolutely. That's incredible. Okay. Let's flip the script. Bad decision. Give us that. Ooh, I <laughs> uh, shouldn't have done that. Won't do that again. Bad, yeah. A bad decision is hiring out of desperation. Ooh, okay. Give, like, give us just a little bit on that. Too quick, being overwhelmed and not like realizing that I wasn't getting the right people on board. Like, I think um, as an entrepreneur and business owner, you want to do so much and you get overwhelmed. Sometimes we don't realize it. And yeah. I've made plenty of probably bad hiring decisions because I was overwhelmed and desperate. Sure. Because you were overwhelmed, you were in an emotional state of not confusion, but like, desperation to your point. Yeah. And that led you to make a choice maybe a little quicker than maybe you should have, or maybe you didn't go through your formula yeah. that you used to share with us about how to actually make good decisions about this. Good. So hiring people, I hear several things in there is that not only don't rush and make bad decisions from desperation, specifically around hiring people, but also the caveat to that is that you got to have good people, right? Because you can't do it alone. That's what you were in right. essence saying whether you were before you didn't have the bad person, uh, you were still desperate because you needed the person, mm -hmm. uh, but you needed to build a team. And so building a team is the only way I know how to get to seven figures because you yeah. can't necessarily do it on your own. And I would almost say 98% of the people listening are in a business right now of their own where they cannot get to seven figures unless they strategically right. grow their team. Yeah. Yeah. It really, to get to seven figures, it's in the who, not the how. Absolutely. That's a great book, by the way, Dan Sullivan. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. We've covered the decisions. Let's go to our speed round now. Yeah. I'm going to hit you with a couple of uh, punchy questions. I want the answers. One, one word if you can, but just short answers. The listener's ready. They got their pen and their notebook and they're okay. ready to write down okay. your answers. If you could only track one metric for now going until oblivion, uh -huh. what would it be? This is so good. It would be profit. Profit. Okay. Profit hawk. I actually, I don't care about the revenue as much as I care about what percentage of that is profit. Bottom line, EBITDA. What are you taking home? Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good because you're right because you can have a seven-figure business and only a 10% profit and you're making a hundred grand. Yeah. Or you can have a six-figure, let's say you're doing half that, 500K at a 30% and you're going to be making more money. Right, yeah. And I like, for me, it's not worth, it, it, it's stressful. It's, it's work, right? But I mean, it's fun work, but I have to make a certain amount of money for me to want to keep going. 100%. So. Yeah. So identify your target as far as a money target. We all have to have money yeah. targets. It doesn't make us money hungry or, or uh, materialistic, but you in business, you have to have a money target. And so what she's saying is you have to value your time is associated to your money target. And then that is how you build your business. Not necessarily around the flashiness of, I want to be seven figures. Although right. yes, in order to typically grow the bottom line, you have to grow the top line, but 
paying attention to that bottom line, Lauren saying is absolutely key. I love it. Okay. Lauren, what book does a six-figure owner need to read right now? Yeah. Okay. I would say High Performing Habits. It's by Brendan Burchard. Yeah. That that taught me how to really hone into my performance and just, yeah, making more out of the time I have in a day. And then you fall short, like you go out throughout the week. So you fall short in some areas of, am I creating necessity? Am I really being productive? Sometimes we think we are and we're not, but that book is really eye-opening. Very good. That's a great recommendation. Okay. I know this to be true of you already, but do you network intentionally with other master or other owners or mastermind with them? And do you pay to do so? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You've already tipped on this a little bit with buying a coach and getting around other people, but anything else you want to throw out there of why you do this? Why? There's so many other people who've been where I want to go and I like to shortcut things. I I would love, not in the bad way. I don't want to, I don't want to cut corners, but I want to, I want to get to, I want to get to my goals faster. And if there's other people that know how to do that, that have been there that can share their expertise, then I'm all about it. Yeah. hundred percent. And if you've experienced this, which I know we both have, if you've experienced that where you've gone out on a whim, it's a little bit scary. You invest a little bit of money and then that person or that program or that mastermind or that, that trip, that business conference, whatever it is, it it illuminates just one thing. Yeah. And then you're like, I see things differently, or you're able to implement and scale or, or grow your team or whatever. The interesting thing about masterminds and, and, coaching programs too, is there's a lot of stuff that they can, that you will have access to, but it could be the one or two things that click for you that make you a ton of money that end up working. So yeah. Do do you share numbers at all about how much you spend on coaching? It's it's crazy sometimes. It it is with with salespeople they I just blow their minds. That's because when I first started in the coaching space with with a sales program, they're just like, wait, what? I got to pay somebody, but I did, but I just thought that was normal. But Again, I was a high-performing salesperson, but now as an entrepreneur, I think it's a little bit more well-known. It's just at the six-figure mark, it's like, ah, I know I probably should, but I'm scared because I would rather buy something more more practical, quote unquote, right? Right. Oh yeah, but you compare what's practical really if you're trying to reach seven figures. Current, can I share? Oh yeah, please, please, I love it. We currently, so my husband and I currently spend 75K a year. So $75,000 a year on coaching. But when I started my first coach, I spent 10 grand. Yeah. Yep. hundred percent. I love it. I'm right there with you between programs, uh, masterminds, things that I'm doing, uh, even just for myself or even within groups, I'm right up there with you in that same range. I think my first year, even just in the coaching space, now I already had multiple seven figure businesses, but my first year in the coaching space, I had zero revenue, <laughs> zero revenue. I had, I had a couple of clients, but Basically, it was zero. And I spent probably, I don't know, like $25,000 that first six months huh. on, on programs because I'm just, I already know how to be successful over here, but I'm not too egotistical to know that I need some help over here. And so right. I spent a, yeah. a ton of money, especially when you're talking about investments and you have no income coming from that stream. And it was like six, six, uh, six figures like that because yeah. I was fast forwarded to your point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that. Okay, last question. Huh. If you lost it all today, there are no more cookies to decorate. You can't teach anybody to <laughs> cookies anymore. No what cookies. <laughs> Sugar cookies have been mandated to not exist. Okay. <laughs> what do you do? Oh, um, such a great question. I am. I actually have asked my husband this multiple times because I get a little scared. I'm like, what if it all went away? What are we going to do? Yeah. He's like, we would just build again. 
I was like, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. We just build again because guess what? We have the skills, we have the knowledge. We, we, I would just build something else. Yeah. hundred percent. It's funny that response just triggers in my brain. I was 24 years old looking to buy my first franchise, a $500,000 purchase basically. And my buddy is like, dude, what if people stop buying the product? And I go, that would suck first off. Yeah. yeah. Number two, I guess I would go back to work as a sales guy. Cause I'm really good at that. And I'd probably pay off the loan and then I'd probably do it again. <laughs> you know, like a little bit of crazy in my eye. Like that's what you just said. I guess I'd have to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Good. Okay. How can someone connect with you, Lauren, whether it be about cookies, wanting to be in one of your programs, wanting just to sure. get to know you better, any of that, please help us. Lollyshomekitchen.com is our main website, but we're on uh, Instagram and Facebook at Lolly's Home Kitchen. If you want to look at pictures of pretty cookies or, <laughs> or, there you go. or if you um, want to buy sugar cookies or, at some point, you yeah, probably have okay. connections to that. I'm sure at some point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good. Good. Cause I'm a cookie monster. I already told you that yeah. on our pre-call. I was like, look, yeah. where do I buy the cookies? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Lauren, thank you so much for uh, your time thank today. You. you have given so, so much fun. of your story. Yes. So fun. Thank you so much. We'll, we'll right. have, have to have you back again when you're at the eight figure mark. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to Gathering the Kings. We hope you got a ton of value today and learned a thing or two about taking your business to seven figures and beyond. If you desire more and want a community around you to help you get there, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. That's gatheringthekings.com. And I want you to apply for our next Becoming a King 90-Day Intensive. We are extremely exclusive by nature as a group. What that means is that we're really wanting only the entrepreneurs who take their business and targets super serious to apply. So if that's you, you think you got what it takes to level up your business, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com and apply. And we will see you on the other side.